For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, For the ones who get it done. What does it mean to fear the Lord? As his children, how do we fear but not be afraid? Do we have a conscience existence after we pass from this life? In the Bible, who was the first to tell us what was the beginning of wisdom and knowledge? What is the difference between the two? Is our lifestyle enough of a witness to the world? What is the key to having stability in life? I want to know. It is our great honor once again to welcome each and every one of you to this week's episode of the Doctrine of Christ because whether you know it or not, the Doctrine of Christ is the most important thing in your life. And more and more of you are beginning to realize that each week. So we are so very thankful. It's good to be back again, Brother Jimmy. Amen. As always. Well, our DLC for this week is the fear of the Lord. And what an awesome DLC that is. I'm afraid but, of this one. Yeah, we better be. We better be afraid. If we're paying attention, we'll be afraid. Matthew chapter 10 and verse 28. And fear not them which kill the body, but are not able to kill the soul, but rather fear him which is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. And we'll begin with Brother Matthew Henry's comment on this text. And he says, note, it is the duty and interest of Christ's disciples not to fear the greatest of their adversaries. And that's quite a statement for us to digest as we daily gather more adversaries. The Adversaries of the Bible Christian grow daily. Their boldness is growing daily. And it's our duty not to be afraid of them. The fear of man brings a snare, a perplexing snare that disturbs our peace, an entangling snare by which we are drawn into sin. And therefore, it must be carefully watched and striven and prayed against. Yet need we not fear, yet will we not fear, though the earth be removed, while we have so good a God, so good excuse, and so good a hope through grace. And how true it is that the moment, you know, here we are, we're obeying God, and we're scooting right along, and all of a sudden, 
we get begin to think about all the threats and all the intimidation and all of the things that the world can do. And it is truly a snare. It will truly distract us. And that's the word of the Lord, Proverbs 29 and 25, the fear of man bringeth a snare. But whoso putteth his trust in the Lord shall be safe. That word snare is a very interesting one. And this is the word that Jesus used when he talked about the tribulations that the Israel of God will be facing in the last days. Let's look at the text in Luke chapter 21 and beginning in verse 34. That's the very word he uses. And take heed to yourselves, lest at any time your hearts be overcharged with surfeiting and drunkenness and cares of this life. And so that day come upon you unawares, for as a snare shall it come on all them that dwell on the face of the whole earth. Watch ye therefore and pray always that ye may be accounted worthy to escape all these things that shall come to pass and to stand before the Son of Man. And that word snare, it's 3803 in the Greek, and it means a trap fastened by a noose. In other words, it's one of these, you know, you, you, you hook them in like that. And the fear of man, and you know, to get that noose around your neck, you just have to stray a few feet. You know, when you're walking there and then in the path of the Lord, he can't hook you. But if you just that fear of man can pull you off just a little bit, he can get that noose around your neck. And that's literally where we're at. We are walking out this last day's um, discipleship and the fear of man is a snare that wants to pull us off just far enough to where we're no longer on the path. But we are wise to Satan's devices, and we're just not going to fall for that. Now in the book of Psalms, chapter 56, Psalm chapter 56, and the fourth verse, in God, I will praise his word. In God, I have put my trust. I will not fear what flesh can do to me. I will not fear what flesh can do to me. This is something, and it's the place that we have to come to. And it's not an easy thing. It's easy to say this, but it's not as easy to do it when we're really in that real-life situation. But it's something that we're capable of, and it's something that we're going to have to look straight in the eye because it's not anything that we're going to be able to avoid. Now, in Psalm chapter 60 and verse 4, thou hast given a banner to them that fear thee, that it may be displayed because of the truth. Now, what an awesome text. He has given a banner to the God-fearing saints that we can display this banner because of the truth. So here's these adversaries coming at us, and God is giving those that fear him a banner that we hold up the standard of God in this time where these things are coming on us like a snare. 
but we don't give, we don't budge. It is the fear of God that enables us to hold up this banner. Spurgeon had an awesome comment on this text in the treasury of David, and we're in a war, and if people don't realize they're in a war, um, they're missing the whole point here. But Brother Spurgeon said on this text, the Lord has called back to himself his servants and commissioned them for his services, presenting them with the standard to be used in his wars. Thou hast given a banner to them that fear thee. Their afflictions had led them to exhibit holy fear and then being fitted for the Lord's favor, he gave them an ensign which would be both a rallying point for their host and a proof that he had sent them to fight and a guarantee of victory. What an awesome privilege and an honor to be able to stand forth with the banner of God in these last days. And the farther we get, the more that standard of God looks strange to the world. The the greater difficulty they have with each passing day understanding just why we're holding up that banner of God. And this text on the fear of the Lord, this DOC on the fear of the Lord, it's going to really bring that into, into focus. Brother Henry goes on to say, but when it comes to the trial, racks and tortures, dungeons and galleys, axes and gibbets, fire and faggot are terrible things, enough to make the strongest heart to tremble and to start back, especially when it is plain that they may be avoided by a few declining steps. Now, to Brother Henry, these weren't just words. They were a reality that they could experience. To these right now, they're just words. But in the coming days and in the coming months, however long the Lord might tarry, these are going to be more and more a reality. He says, by this it appears that the soul does not, as some dream, fall asleep at death, nor is deprived of thought and perception, for then the killing of the body would be the killing of the soul too. But certainly, this text teaches us that we will have a conscious existence after we pass from this life, and it is for this reason that we are to fear the Lord more than them that killed the body. But these are things that we're going to have to have in perspective in the days to come. In Psalm 46, 2, therefore will not we fear, though the earth be removed and though the mountains be carried into the midst of the sea. And truly, this is our, our great hope, and this is our banner that we rally behind. Now, let's get a good definition of the fear of the Lord. You get a lot of different opinions about this, but let's get the one from the Father that's so plain that we can all understand it. Let's go to the book of Exodus, chapter 20, and let's start with verse 18. And all the people saw the thunderings and the lightnings and the noise of the trumpet and the mountain smoking. And when the people saw it, they removed and stood afar off. The mountain was on fire. 
and the mountain was shaking, and they were backing up in a hurry. In verse 19, and they said unto Moses, speak thou with us and we will hear, but let not God speak with us lest we die. Now, the mountain was on fire. The mountain was shaking. They thought they were going to die. They were afraid. A real fear. Uh, I'm going to get killed and die fear. In verse 20, and Moses said unto the people, fear not, for God has come to prove you that his fear may be before your faces that ye sin not. Now, we are to fear, yet we are not to fear. We are not to forget the smoking mountain. We are not to forget the smoking mountain. We are not to forget what it would feel like to stand before the wrath of God without the grace of Christ upon us. If we are under the blood of Christ, walking in a, in a heart obedience of love, we don't have to be afraid. But if you're not, you better be afraid. You better, and, it, and it's a, oh, I'm going to die, be afraid. It is the fear that this wrath of God will break forth and strike you dead. That is exactly what the fear of God is. Now, let's look at 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 11. And I think we need to send out a friendly reminder to everybody that the book of 2 Corinthians is in the New Testament. We're reading from the New Testament here. And in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 11, knowing therefore the terror of the Lord. Now, just think about that phrase for a minute. There is a phrase to meditate on. Knowing, therefore, the terror of the Lord. Do we know the terror of the Lord? Do we know that if it was not for the blood of Christ, that that wrath that was displayed on the smoking mountain, that that would break forth and strike us dead? This is the only way to comprehend the fear of God. The only thing between us and certain death is the grace of Christ upon our life. Knowing, therefore, the terror of the Lord, I don't think most modern people that profess Christ understand the terror of the Lord. I think terror is a word that it would be hard for them to associate with the Lord. But knowing, therefore, the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. You see, it's the terror of the Lord that motivates us to persuade men, because we know that if they don't have the blood of Christ applied to their sins, that that wrath is going to break out against them just as surely as it would upon the mountain to any that would not have approached with holy fear and awe. Well, that makes me want to ask you a question. I've heard it said on uh, of of, of people who talk about a different kind of fear of God as Christians, that we don't have the same kind of fear because we are in Christ Jesus. And, and you know, you've got the verses like 1 John 4, 18, and there's no fear in love, and love cap, 
perfect love casts out all fear. So are these different kinds of fears, and should we as Christians who are safe in the grace of the blood of Jesus Christ, should we have the same fear as what he's talking about here? Because this is talking about uh, these people who are outside of the blood of Jesus, and these people are going to be uh, experiencing the wrath of God. So, you know, you understand what I'm asking? Yeah. And the fear of God is the fear of God. And when we are under the blood covering, we don't have to fear that God's going to strike us dead before the sunrise. But if we're not, we better be. And it's the fear of God. And we're going to study text where it is the fear of God that is that great motivator to keep us walking on a path of obedience. But the fear of God's the fear of God. And it's true. We don't have to have a slavish fear of him if we're in Christ, but the fear is still the same. And that's the point I think that you've hit on. They have lost that. The understanding of the terror of the Lord is no longer there. Well, yeah, I fear God. I respect him, but I don't really believe if I just go completely crazy, I'd get struck dead. Yeah. And, uh, You might not get struck dead until you stand before the judgment seat of God. But I think that concept has been almost totally lost. Well, And that's verse 10 right there. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And Brother Henry had some great comments on this. And we're going to see that the fear of God is tied to the law. It's we're going to see the more text we read that the fear of God is measured in whether or not we obey the commandments. And Brother Henry said this, the extraordinary terror with which the law was given, it was designed once for all. Now, notice what Brother Henry says. It was designed once for all to give a sensible discovery of the glorious majesty of God. Now, it wasn't designed to be a temporary display of that, but it was designed once and for all to give a sensible discovery of the glorious majesty of God for the assistance of our faith concerning it, that knowing the terror of the Lord we may be persuaded to live in his fear. And you see, the giving of the law wasn't just a temporary barometer of the fear of God, but this display of the thunder on the mountain when the law was given, it aroused fear in them that saw it. And this is the perpetual standard of the fear of God. This is the benchmark of it. You know what's so shocking, though? is they did say that when they saw that. It's like, you go up and talk to God uh, because, you know, and we'll just do whatever you say. But before Moses could even get back down, they had already made a golden calf and was worshiping it and having doing all kinds of ungodly stuff just that quick. Yeah. And they were seeing these things with their own eyes. Could you imagine? No wonder the Lord wanted to strike them all dead. And it's, he did kill 
a few thousand. Three thousand got killed. Yeah, yeah. So it's it's amazing. And and Brother Henry brings it right back. He says it was an indication of the terror of those convictions which the law brings into the conscience to prepare the soul for the comforts of the gospel. Now, we have come to the place in the modern American religious establishment to where the clear-cut concept that we have offended a holy God by breaking his law no longer terrifies people. Because the law is not preached, there is a complete lack of understanding that we serve a holy God and we have offended him by breaking his law and that the penalty for breaking that law is death and that that fact should scare us to death. That fact should scare us to death that we have offended God and would have to stand before him without the blood of Christ upon our sins. And that is inexcusable. That is absolutely inexcusable. And just like in the other text, the Apostle Paul said, knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. And in the text in Romans 3 and 20, therefore by the deeds of the law shall no flesh be justified in his sight, for by the law is the knowledge of sin. When we preach the law, people will be convicted of their sin by the Holy Spirit. The fear of God is the beginning, we're going to see. This is where it starts. The fear of God is the beginning of knowledge and wisdom. And until the fear of God comes in a person in the realization that they have broken God's law, they'll never be converted. In, in Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 31, it is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. It's a fearful thing to think that we might go out of this world into eternity without the blood of Christ upon our sins. And, you know, people will make fun of preachers that will preach the law. Oh, you're a fire and brimstone. Well, there is no other preacher but a fire and brimstone preacher. There is no conversion to the gospel except those that know the terror of the Lord, that they're in big trouble because they have broken God's law. In Jude, in the 23rd verse, and others save with fear, pulling them out of the fire, hating even the garment spotted by the flesh. This is a truth that is so important, that has been so neglected, that the blood of many, many people are going to be upon the hands of many, many so-called preachers because the gospel they're preaching is not the real gospel at all, because there's no fear of God in it. You just I just had an idea or a thought when you said that, you know, Jesus told us to love our neighbors as ourselves, and and you're talking about how we should be f so fearful for unbelievers, and isn't that loving our neighbors as ourselves? Because if we're lost, wouldn't we want somebody to tell us we're lost and that we m would have to face the wrath of the eternal God? I mean that that's just another part of loving your neighbor as yourself. I'm and I'm. I'm extremely guilty of not 
telling enough people, I guess. I know people who I would consider are probably lost, and I'm. That's just something I got to work on right there. The cruelest thing that we could do, and it's just like now, this has become popularized by the Kufi movement, the Christians United for Israel, and statements are made in that organization that we don't have to worry about evangelizing. Jewish people, they believe in the same God we do. We just need to be their friends. There's nothing more cruel and unloving than to purposely and willfully withhold the gospel from someone. Nothing could be more cruel and more unloving. What will it be when we stand before the Lord and that person on the way to hell? Here we are, we're saved on the way to heaven, but those people that were around us all the time, they're going into hell because they didn't hear. Now, the Bible talks about blood being required at our hand, and the fear of God will help us to step up our game, so to speak, You know, to just, use a, a common metaphor. And, and another thing, if we don't do this, is uh, we're breaking another commandment that Jesus gave us, you know, treating— um, Treating people the way we want to be treated. Again, that's the golden rule, right? Yeah. But we don't think of it like that. We just think about, oh, it's be nice to somebody, be courteous. No. Shake them awake, you know? And you hear this term that the it's not a biblical term, but it's a, an apostate church term, lifestyle evangelism. Well, my life is a witness to them. Well, the Bible says, how will they hear unless someone tells them the gospel? They need to hear the gospel. That's what they need to hear. And um, our life is a witness. That is true. But that does not exempt us from sharing the gospel. It is the gospel that saved. The gospel is the power of God. Us being nice to Little old ladies and handing out bottles of water to thirsty people doesn't save nobody. It's the gospel that saves people, that and that only. And until we understand that, uh, Proverbs chapter 1 and verse 7, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. You could be number one in your class at MIT, but until the fear of the Lord comes in your life, as far as God's concerned, you don't know anything. It starts with that. It starts with that. For by the laws, the knowledge of sin, this is the starting place. And until we learn that, we're lost. But the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. That's what gets us into the spiritual arena. There is no salvation without that. And the first fellow that said that was Job. And let's read a text in the book of Job in chapter 28 and 28, 28, 28. And unto man, he said, behold, the fear of the Lord, that is wisdom, And to depart from evil 
is understanding. And the fear of the Lord will cause us to depart from evil because the minute you understand that fear of God is tied to breaking God's law, you're going to automatically depart from evil. No one's going to have to spell it out for you. If you have a vision of that smoking mountain in your mind, it's going to be very easy for you if you really have the fear of God to depart from evil because you know the consequences. You know the consequences, you know, and it's just like an earthly father. We know, well, and if you had a good father, many of us didn't, but if you had a God. I did and still do. Thank well, God. good. You're very blessed. Very. And you know that a godly father loves you, but you know there's limits. And you know you go over the line, you're you're going to get the rod of correction. Yeah, I remember those days. Yeah, and that's, that's a good thing. Now, Thomas Carl, excuse me, Joseph Carl, in his commentary on Job, he said this, and he cites another great text, Psalm 19.9. The fear of the Lord is clean. Tis clean first, subjectively, or in itself. Fear is a pure, crystal-oriented grace. There is no spot in it. Secondly, it is clean effectively. Tis a cleaner. Fear is a purifying grace. They depart from evil by the help of this good fear. First, so as to not do what is forbidden. Secondly, so as not to feel what is threatened. Now, this is in the mind of those that fear God. Number one, it helps them to depart from evil, and also they f- so not to feel what's threatened. They have a fear that if they do wrong, they're going to be punished. Now, this has been taken away by the once saved, always saved doctrine. Well, you know, we'll have a, we might have a smaller mansion in glory, but it's not going to be of nothing drastic, you know. And the fear of God is removed because they don't believe they're going to feel that terror of the Lord come against them. And they will. They will feel that terror of the Lord come against them. And Brother Carl puts it like this that fear is the golden bridle which checks our headstrong lusts when they would either run us out of the straight way of life or run us into the broad way of death and destruction. And it's the fear of God. When you know there's consequences to what you do, it affects your behavior. And when you don't believe there's any consequences to whether, you know, well, I can do right or I can do wrong, uh, but it isn't going to change my eternal state. That affects a person that takes the fear of God out of their life. And there's just no way around that. And any sane, logically thinking person, which I think that's getting fewer and fewer as we go on. But uh, that's just the truth. That's just the truth. And I think everybody knows that. The people that teach these doctrines, they're not going to admit it, but it is true nonetheless. Now, in Psalm chapter 
111 and verse 10. Whenever anyone hears a connection between fearing God and keeping the commandments, I want you to just wave at me. And I can see you out there. I want you to know that I can see you. So this is the time for audience participation. So when you hear that connection between fearing God and keeping the commandments, just give me a wave. In Psalm 111 and verse 10, the scripture says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. A good understanding have all they that do his commandments his praise endureth forever. In Ecclesiastes chapter 12, Ecclesiastes chapter 12, and we'll look at verse 13. Let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. Now, let me ask you this, Jimmy. I want to know this, and I want you to tell me. Just tell me, just, just tell me, man. Can a person that says the commandments of God are passed away and are irrelevant, is it possible for them to have the fear of God in their life? Well, according to this scripture, absolutely not. If we go over the Bible— no. <laughs> right. If we go over their theology, well, sure, they fear God. But if we go over the Bible over and over, the fear of God is connected with keeping the commandments. Yeah, Jesus taught all kinds of the commandments from the Old Testament. I mean, you can't escape it. And that is what the fear of God is intrinsically tied to all the way back to the Smoking Mountain. They saw when the law was given, the mountain was on fire. They thought they were going to die. That's where the fear of the Lord began. And in there, and there is no fear of the Lord outside of obedience and godliness. There is none. In, in the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 4, verse 6 and 7, Keep therefore and do them, for this is your wisdom. And your understanding in the sight of the nations, which shall hear all these statutes and say, surely this great nation is a wise and understanding people. For what nation is there so great who hath God so nigh unto them as the Lord our God is in all things that we call upon him? And it was the fact that there was a people that obeyed God's commandments that gave the world an understanding that there was an Israel of God. That's what set the Israel of God apart. They kept God's commandments. And in Deuteronomy 6 and 2, that thou mightest fear the Lord thy God to keep all his statutes and his commandments. That's what the fear of God is. It's obeying the commandments of God. You cannot, if you're going to go over the Bible, that's what you're going to come up with. Which I command thee, thou and thy son and thy son's son, all the days of thy life, and that thy days may be prolonged. We have an inescapable, undeniable connection 
between the fear of God. And when we put these, and we've talked a lot about, well, number one, all of the churches that teach the laws passed away, and that's a bunch of them anymore. Add with that all of the the churches that teach once saved, always saved, and what you've got, you have the fear of God thrown out of the modern apostate church, and that's why it's apostate. The fear of God is thrown out. Well, you have a country in the in the shape it's in now. Yeah, a and country the, that majority is, is claims Christianity, and we've allowed it to become a cesspool of filth. Yeah, well said. It, and the reason it's why Christians' fault. It is. It's not the fault of the homosexuals. It's not the fault of the transvestites or the Satanists. It's the fault of those that call themselves preachers. That well, I'll just stop there because I'll just go into orbit if I don't. But it's well said. It's their fault. They have ceased a long time ago to preach the fear of God. They have garbed their sin in fancy theological terms. They have written their books to try to, with a stroke of their hand, do away with God's law. But um, the fear of God will one day come home to them nonetheless. And and I certainly didn't mean all Christians are that way, but I know the majority are. And it's because of the teaching that they've been brought up in. Yeah, it is the rule rather than the exception anymore. It really is. I wish that it wasn't, and this isn't the case with everyone, but it is the case with most, and there are specific reasons for it. It's tied to false teaching, and it's tied to another gospel that's that's crept in. We can identify it. We can correct it in our lives, and we can correct it in the lives that would look to us for truth and instruction. Now, let's go to Hosea chapter 4, and let's read verses 6 and 7, and this is one of the classic texts on the subject. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Now, in this text, the prophet said, my people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. And the reason why there's a lack of knowledge is there's a lack of the fear of God. My people are destroyed for lack of knowledge, because thou hast rejected knowledge. I will also reject thee, that thou shalt be no priest to me, seeing thou hast forgotten the law of thy God. I will also forget thy children. Now, here we are again, back to the law. Because you've forgotten law, I'm going to forget your children. As they were increased, So they sinned against me. Therefore, will I change their glory into shame? Jeremiah Burroughs wrote a commentary, another one of our Puritan friends. He wrote a commentary on the book of Hosea, and he said this. For lack of knowledge, as if he had said, if they had the knowledge of God, they might have prevented all this, and so much calamity would be, and it would just absolutely be prevented if they just had the right gospel, and if they just had the doctrine of Christ, 
we have to remind ourselves we feast every week on the doctrine of Christ. And it sounds so strange to the ears of religious people, but we have to remind ourselves what the scripture says. If we don't have the doctrine of Christ, we don't have God. We're not teaching things here that are optional. The fear of God is not something we can choose to have or not to have. And oh, well, uh, I'll get the fear of God someday for a die. It's the beginning point. It's not something we pick up along the way. It's where the process starts with the fear of God, understanding we're a sinner and we need help. And Brother Burroughs goes on to say, because thou hast rejected knowledge, the word signifies to reject with despise and contempt. And oh boy, you know, that statement preaches all on its own. And there are so many people that are just fast asleep and stupid is as stupid does. I think maybe Forrest Gump said that. I don't know. But Second Thessalonians 2 and 10, and with all deceivableness of unrighteousness in them that perish, because they receive not the love of the truth that they might be saved. If a person loves the truth, they're not only going to figure out correct biblical doctrine, but they're going to be able to see through the lies that people are trying to put upon them in the world we live in. And believe me, there's many of them. Our world is one big mass of smoke and mirrors, lies and deception. And only the person that loves truth will figure it out. But it, it, you don't have to be the sharpest knife in the drawer, thank God. If you just love the truth, you can figure it out. You can figure it out. And that's real good, good for us. And Brother Burroughs goes on to say, now this is a great sin in any, but especially in the priest. And what, and you know, so true, it's a sin for any child of God not to love the truth. But how about a person that claims to be a minister of God and they don't love the truth enough to even search out these let, let's let's just do a study on the fear of God, Mr. Pastor, and let's just see if there's a relationship between the fear of God and keeping God commandments. It wouldn't take very long to find out, just like we have this evening, that there is a ironclad connection between fearing God and keeping the commandments. But they don't care. They want to stay dumb. They want to stay safe. They don't want to pick up the rug to look at the dirt underneath it because they would have to change their life if they did. Uh, Brother Burroughs goes on. Upon this, they shut their eyes against the knowledge of that very truth that should they have that should have brought them to the true worship of God rather than they would lose their estates they would reject that knowledge and the same was true in the time of Hosea as is true this very instant for those that would preach the truth and come to the knowledge of the truth they would have lost their place in that religious system the same is true today. People that start talking like me and Jimmy, you're not going to be welcome down at the religious establishment. And thank God for that. Brother Burroughs goes on to say, what 
Do you look on God's ways and worship as a vile thing? Are the truths of God vile in your eyes? You are vile in God's eyes. He looks upon you and your spirits with as much contempt as you can regard his worship, his saints, and his ordinances. Yeah, I mean, people need to get a clue. Well, you despise God's law. Well, he despises your little self. You know, who do you think you are to be able to just do away with the things of God with the whim? He says, you heard before in Luke 6 that Christ pronounced his disciples, faithful preachers, blessed when their names were cast out as evil, when they were vilified by men. And let's read that text in the Gospel of Luke. And, you know, Brother Spurgeon talked about a banner being given to those that have the fear of God that we can hold it up before our enemies. And it's the place where our enemies are those that name the name of Christ in Luke chapter 6. In verse 22 and 23, blessed are ye when men shall hate you and when they shall separate you from their company and shall reproach you and cast out your name as evil for the son of man's sake. Rejoice ye in that day and leap for joy. For behold, your reward is great in heaven. For in like manner did the fathers unto the prophets leap for joy, you know, jumping up and down with joy. And he's not talking about the prostitutes. He's talking about the religious people that would separate. The same is true today. If you want to get religious people to separate from you, all you got to do is tell them that God's law and the Ten Commandments are still good. That'll do it for you right there in most cases. That's all it's going to take. And they're going to treat you like, um, you know, you're in some kind of a cult or something. But if we're going to have the fear of God, this is the banner that we're going to have to hold up. And I say, thank God, let it be known. Let it be known to everything and everybody that we are not like them. We are not like them. We will stand behind the banner that will hold up the fear of God. And in Deuteronomy chapter 32 and verse 31, for their rock is not as our rock, even our enemies themselves being judges. And yes, thank God, we are not like them. Let it be known unto everybody that we will be a people that will obey the commandments of God. In Proverbs chapter 9 and verse 10, in 1 and 7, the text says that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. It's also the beginning of wisdom. Now, knowledge means you know something. And wisdom means you know what to do is what you know. And in Proverbs chapter 9 and verse 10, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and the knowledge of the holy is understanding. And I want to read a comment by Charles Bridges from his commentary on Proverbs. And Brother Bridges said this, 
He said, the fear of the Lord was a lovely grace in the perfect humanity of Jesus. The child of God has only one dread, to offend his father. The child of God has only one desire, to please and delight in him. The only thing we fear is not our enemies, but that we might fail him. That's our great fear. And our great delight is to to please him. Now, let's look at that text in Isaiah. Brother Jimmy likes Isaiah. Now, let's look at something real neat here. Let's look at Isaiah chapter 11, and let's look at the fear of the Lord as a gift of the Spirit. Isaiah chapter 11, let's begin in verse 2. And the Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him. And this is prophesying. Let's just read verse 1 and 2. It speaks about Jesus as the branch, which is prophetic of him as the Messiah. This is a term Zechariah used repeatedly. And there shall come forth a rod out of the stem of Jesse, and a branch shall grow out of his roots. And the Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord. The fact that the Spirit of God rested upon him gave him the fear of God, and it led Jesus into a sinless life where he always obeyed the Father perfectly. The Spirit of God imparted that fear to him and shall make him of quick understanding in the fear of the Lord. Now, if you have the fear of the Lord, you're going to figure things out and you're going to figure things out quick. It's not going to take you all day long to figure out if you have the commandments of God and you're going to obey them, it's going to be quick whether you know whether to do something or not. It ain't going to take you all day. And when the Spirit of God imparts unto you the fear of the Lord like it did Jesus, it'll put us in the path of obedience and it'll make it easy for us. Because, you see, sin's the transgression of the Lord. It's not a gray matter with us. We know what sin is, and uh, we don't define sin according to our own ideas, but we accept the Father's definition of it. So it's easy. It's quick. It's, It's just like that. And that's what the fear of God will do for us. Well, let me ask you a question. Based on what you just said and based on that scripture, you know, I take that the Spirit of the Lord came down on him. That was the Holy Spirit, right? Absolutely. All right. So I'm th- I'm sitting here thinking, okay, if the Spirit of the Lord rested on him and then it, along with that came understanding and wisdom and fear and counsel and all that stuff. And we as Christians have the Holy Spirit inside of us. Why are we not fearing the Lord? Why are we not? What's the difference? It's the same spirit, right? Same spirit, same fear. And here again, there's that frightening question. When people dismiss the commandments of God, can they have the fear at all? Or we could be even more scary. You know, the Bible says if you don't have the doctrine of Christ, you don't have God. 
the Bible defines the Israel of God as those that have the testimony of Jesus and keep the commandments of God. Can we say, well, oh, I, I'm a Christian, but our church doesn't believe in the commandments of God. Now, can we do that? You know, we can do that. But what does that do to our eternal destiny when uh, we all of a sudden say, you know, pay no attention to that smoking mountain. Don't look at the man on top of the mountain burning with fire. You damn your soul. Let's just come out and say it. You damn your soul. You throw away God's law. You put in another gospel. You take the fear of God out of your life. And according to scripture, that's the beginning point. Without the fear of God, you haven't begun to know anything or to have the wisdom to do with what you have. It's not a very pretty picture, but it's the obvious conclusion we come to that the modern religious establishment has apostatized. They have apostatized from the truth. They have apostatized from obedience and the real gospel. There's no other conclusion you can come to. Now, Jimmy, I'm going to ask you another question I want to know. Why does God give the Holy Spirit to those that will obey him? Why is that, Jimmy? In Acts chapter 5 and verse 32, and we are his witnesses of these things, and so is also the Holy Ghost whom God hath given to them that obey him. Connect that back with Isaiah 11. When the Spirit of the Lord came upon him and put the fear of God in him, quick understanding, didn't take him all day to figure it out. Why does he give the Holy Ghost to them that will obey him? Because if you're not going to obey him, you don't need the Holy Ghost. And this is what we have today. We have a religion without the Holy Ghost. Even those, in many cases, and I can't just make blanket condemnations across the board, but in many cases, even those that claim to be so charismatic have no fear of God in their life. Sometimes they stand out as some of the most brazen examples of those that absolutely have no fear of God, sad to say. There's a lot of people that like that verse, and I like the verse too, don't get me wrong. But I think it's just interpreted a little differently when they talk about how in the spirit of the, of the Lord is liberty. Yeah. You know, they take that a little, they take a little liberty with that liberty. <laughs> yeah. Um, if they would connect that with the doctrine of Christ in John chapter 8, that, um, you know, if we sin, we commit sin with a servant of sin. But if the Son set you free, you'll be free indeed. We have freedom not to sin. We have freedom to obey God. We have freedom not to be bound by our fallen nature. That's what freedom is, not freedom uh, like uh, Eliphas Levi, the Freemasons, said. Uh, Freemasons are free. Free from what? He said, free from the fear of God. That's what the man said, free from the fear of God. And many people today, they're adopting 
the Luciferian Masonic interpretation of the fear of God rather than the biblical one. That's exactly what they're doing, that they're free to sin. And this is exactly what many people believe. Thousands and thousands that go through these megachurches believe in this greasy grace gospel that whatever they do, uh, they don't have to worry about that smoking mountain, you know. You know, well, uh, well, I can, you know, I might lose a little of that eternal reward, but I'm going to be there in glory. Well, what a sad deception. Now, Jimmy, I'm going to ask you a question here. I'm going to put you on the spot again. I'm going to pick on you. Third See, time. I know it. Well, I'm. I get nervous when you do that. I'm, well. I feel like trick questions, I mean. I'm, well, and this is not a trick question at all. <laughs> Um, Psalm chapter five and verse seven. But as for me, I will come into thy house in the multitude of thy mercy, and in thy fear will I worship toward thy holy temple, and in thy fear will I worship. What does it mean to worship in the fear of God? When we worship, we come into his presence, and we can come boldly before the throne of grace. We can come boldly if we come properly, if we come covered by the blood. And I think a lot of times worship becomes flippant. You know, back at the Smoking Mountain, the boys there were afraid. You know, Moses, you, 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 go, you go talk to him. You know, because I'm afraid we're going to get struck dead. And you see, worship is approaching the holy mountain again. And we have to worship in fear. Like Moses said, fear, but don't be afraid. And when we worship in the fear of God, we understand we're coming in the presence of the one that was on the smoking mountain. But yet, if we come to the blood of his son, we can come boldly. And if this was the attitude of people in worship, it would transform our worship just like it would transform every aspect of our life. But that phrase really jumped out at me, and I thought about you worshiping in the fear of God. I'm not so sure, just even in that context of what you just said, that you know, if I'm, if I'm being honest with myself, have I truly done that, you know? I don't know. And, and isn't this some, wouldn't that be a great meditation for us to have? I'm meditating on it right now. <laughs> I mean, really, I mean, uh, and that's the purpose of studying the word to bring us to the, to draw closer to the Lord, to fear him more. Um, well, and, and, you know, that word worship, the way we, we always think about that is, I guess, uh, praying, maybe our hands raised and or we're singing songs and things like that. But you know, worship is so much more than that. It's a 24 hour a day lifestyle. It is a lifestyle because it's obedience, it's it's reading the word, it's 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 obeying the word. Um but as far as the reason I said what I said about myself was I'm I was strictly thinking in that context of playing my keyboard and and leading people in worship. Sometimes I get so 
I get so caught up in making sure I'm not making any mistakes and I'm not hitting wrong notes and forgetting the words and stuff that I wonder how much of it is actually worship for me at that moment, you know, because I'm just maybe just focused on the wrong thing, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And, um, but worship is so much more than that. It is. It is indeed. Now we're going to have some more audience participation. Good. Put, put other people on the hook. I am. I want everybody (laughs) to get, um, a piece of paper and a pencil or an ink pen. And I want you to start making a list of the things you hate. Now, for all of you say, I don't hate anything, you know, go to the end of the line because we have to be able to make a list of the things we hate. Because if you don't hate anything, you don't have the fear of God. Now, let's look at the scripture. Proverbs chapter 8 and verse 13, the fear of the Lord is to hate evil. Now, that word hate's a strong word. And the fear of the Lord will cause you to hate evil. We go back to the concept of the burning mountain. Evil is going to bring forth the great wrath of God. That burning mountain is going to break forth in eternal destruction. And evil is what is leading people toward that destination of destruction. And if you fear God, you're going to hate evil. You're going to hate it because you understand it's destroying people. The fear of the Lord is to hate evil. Pride and arrogancy and the evil way and the froward mouth do I hate. I could certainly make a list of things that I hate, and every child of God needs to have a list. And indeed, nowadays, there is a long list of things you hate. And just like we read in the scripture, the fear of the Lord will cause you to depart. You know, it'll be quick understanding. We won't have to strain all day to figure it out. You'll depart from evil immediately because the commandments of God are there as your guide. You know real quick. In um, Psalm chapter 119, and let's look at the 104th verse. Through thy precepts, I get understanding. Therefore, I hate every false way. Now, I think we could agree that the Jehovah Witnesses is a false way. In John 1, 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. In the New World Translation, they changed that to the Word was a God, making Christ inferior to the Father, a created being. John 8, 24, Jesus said, if you do not believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. This is a damnable heresy. I hate that. Not because I hate the men and women that are fooled by that. I don't hate them. I hate that false way. I 
hated. I hate Freemasonry. It's a false way that's damning people's souls. And do we have to add to the list, Jimmy, churches that are telling people God's laws passed away and that the commandments of God or the doctrines of Christ don't matter? Isn't that something we have to hate just as much because it's damning men and women's souls just as surely as the Jehovah Witnesses of the Lodge? Yeah. Yeah. It's not easy to say that, is it? And we don't hate them. We have compassion before them. But they're they're involved in something that's going to damn their soul. Yeah. We should fear for them on their behalf what they're going to face when they meet the wrath of God. Yeah. Yeah. They're going to run into that smoking mountain. Uh, there's no doubt about it. In <laughs> Psalm 119, 128, Therefore I esteem all thy precepts concerning all things to be right, and I hate every false way. I don't pick and choose. You know, it's all right. It's all true. Therefore I hate every false way. Doesn't matter what flavor the false way is, witchcraft, new age, or the local church on the corner. I hate them all if it isn't the truth. Because there's only one way of salvation. There's only one way. Modern religion has changed. The word of God has not. Neither has the gospel. Everything God said is true. Every false way we hate. I recently heard a, a man talking about this, and he said, you know, everybody everybody wants to come up with something new and all this stuff. And he goes, and he goes, I'm just I'm just gonna hang on to this six thousand years worth of history right here. And he's got his Bible in his hand, and he's like, and he's holding it close to him, man. It's like how dear it is to him. He goes, and if it doesn't line up with that, he goes, I I, I can't go along with what they say. I'm going to fear what's in this book, this 6,000 years worth of history that has proven itself over and over and over. Yeah. That simple attitude is what we got to have. That's what the fear of God is. Mm -hmm. I'm going with God. We know that's not going to be the popular position. Our road won't be crowded, but it will take us to the right destination. Amos chapter 5, verse 15 Hate the evil and love the good. Hate the evil, love the good. It's just that simple. We hate evil and love good. And when we have the fear of God, that will come automatically. The fear of God, we will immediately hate the evil and love the good. We won't have to sit around all day in a fizz about it. The fear of God, we hate evil, we love good. It's just like that. And establish judgment in the gate. It may be, but the Lord of hosts will be gracious unto the remnant of Joseph. Now, I want everyone to look over, reach out to that person next to you. Just tap them on the shoulder and say, the book of Romans is in the New Testament. Romans chapter 12 and verse 9. Let love be without dissimulation, abhor that which is evil, cleave to that which is good. It's not complicated, is it? 
the fear of God. We hate evil. We love good. We do what's right. We don't do what's evil. Why? Because of the fear of God. The fear of God makes that a reality. Like Brother Carl said, it's the great bridle that will keep us from plunging in to those things that we shouldn't. It will it will restrain us because we know we know the consequences of what happens when we burst through irreverently under that smoking mountain, and that's why we fear. Let's look at Isaiah again here. Isaiah 33, let's look at verse 5 and 6. The Lord is exalted, for he dwelleth on high. He hath filled Zion with judgment and righteousness, and wisdom and knowledge shall be the stability of thy times. Now think about that. Wisdom and knowledge shall be the stability of thy times. What's the beginning of wisdom? The fear of God. What's the beginning of knowledge? The fear of God. Wisdom and knowledge shall be the stability of thy times and strength of salvation. The fear of the Lord is his treasure. Wisdom and knowledge, that's your stability. The fear of the Lord is your treasure, which brings about both of those. We have instant stability, all because of the fear of God. The fear of God, if you have it, it will bring about doing what's right and staying away from what's wrong. And you won't have to think about it all day long. It'll be easy because just like the Spirit came down upon Jesus to accomplish that, it will do the same for us. In Jeremiah chapter 32, we'll close with verses 39 and 40. And here again, we're back into the purpose of the new covenant. We were talking about the new covenant concept of everyone being taught of God. Well, here's another one that's foundational to the new covenant. And I will give them one heart and one way that they may fear me forever. Now, isn't that awesome? And I will give them one heart and one way that they may fear me forever for the good of them and of their children after them. And I will make an everlasting covenant with them that I will not turn away from them to do to do them good. And I will put my fear in their hearts and they shall not depart from me. In the new covenant. When we receive the gospel, the fear of God is put in our heart. Let's read that again. This is new covenant. Just like we talked about the new covenant, everyone being taught about God. I don't think there's as many people in the new covenant as think they're in the new covenant. Well, we know that's true. Just listen to this. And I will give them one heart and one way that they may fear me forever for the good of them and of their children after them. And I will make an everlasting covenant with them that I will not turn away from them to do them good, but I will put my fear in their hearts that they shall not depart from me. If the fear of God is not in your heart at this moment, fall down on your knees, repent of your sin, 
knowing the care of the Lord, that if you would pass from this earth without your sins being under the blood, that you would face that smoking mountain. So right now in Jesus' name, just repent of your sin, place your faith in the death of Christ as payment for your sin debt. Lord, be merciful to me a sinner. I commit my whole life to you in Jesus' name. Amen. With all of my Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere playing at luckylandslots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18+. Plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.